this is the first episode of Clinical Scoop with Dr. Al. We've got world-famous oncologist Dr. Al Jazirely, otherwise known as Dr. Al. Uh, he, I work with him for in his Los Angeles oncology practice. He does a lot of research now, and he's starting to branch into other areas of research. But in this first episode, we're actually going to discuss a couple of new uh, trials and articles that uh, we think are interesting. So we're going to actually get an oncologist's opinion on these trials and hopefully educate a lot of people in the process. We, we're trying to educate other physicians, other clinicians, other researchers, other people that want to be in research, the general public, you know, because I know a lot of general public is actually interested in cancer because unfortunately cancer is so common amongst the general public. So it, this is going to be the formats for these uh, interviews. It, it's not always going to be about oncology, but a lot of it in the beginning will be because Dr. Al is also going to be interviewing some of his colleagues in the future and other physicians from the community. And we're going to bring on all kinds of specialists. But today, we're focusing on oncology and what's new. And Dr. Al, how's it going and what's new with you? Very good. Thank you, Dan, for inviting me for this uh, clinical scoop. And uh, I'm very excited as uh, part of your team in research and your CRO. Uh, mainly, I, uh, in my presentation today, I'm going to try to do some uh, trial that's have a lot of uh, a clinical impact on, uh, on the physician and also on the patient. But uh, mm -hmm. as a part of your clinical scoop, uh, Dan, I will suggest like to have a feedback from the viewer and see what subject they want to talk about. Number one, number Absolutely. two, uh, we, we can uh, convert from the clinical uh, trial and also discuss about uh, clinical practices and we can go and take guidelines from your book about uh, that, which will be yeah, it will be one of the things and how to do like what the responsibilities of the uh, PI, what the responsibilities of the coordinators, uh, how to run it, what the requirement for, you know, a lot of field we can go in the research and we can cover it other than the clinical trial. More than happy to cover a lot of subjects in the clinical trials and uh, what's updated in in that. Uh, I, I, I choose a couple of articles like uh, mainly about things that's done uh, in the clinical practice on a daily basis. Well, before, before we get to those articles, let's let, because I think that you made a good point. So before we get to these articles, just I'm going to introduce maybe a little bit of what we're trying to do with the clinical scoop. So like you said, we're going to talk about clinical trial results sometimes. We're going to talk about new clinical trials that just hit the market because we're really trying to target physicians and other clinicians and industry professionals who are curious about this stuff and want to hear the clinical results from the perspective and interpretation of a doctor or it could be an oncologist or it could be another specialist depending on the study we're analyzing. So the clinicalscoop.com is where you want to go for these things. In the future, I will share the live stream link with everybody who wants to watch live as we're doing it, but the recordings will keep
keep the recordings. Once I accumulate three or four episodes, Dr. Al, I'm going to start the podcast, the Clinical Scoop podcast, where these all the recordings are going to go. You can replay them when you're driving in the car. You can learn about study results. We're going to have all that stuff there. We're going to have our own YouTube channel. Uh, but right now, everyone joining us live, and we're sharing them on my YouTube channel for the time being. Uh, so thank you very much again, Dr. Al, for this idea. It's a fantastic idea you had to do this. And I love doing these kind of things because I had similar idea a couple of years back. And it's funny how we both kind of came to the same idea, you know, separately. But then we, when you told me about it, I said, hey, I've been thinking about this for five years. Uh, so I'm glad we finally got able to do it. And uh, I'm looking forward to learning from you as well and watching you interview people and having others interview you. I think everyone, the whole community will benefit from this. So thank you again. Uh, I think there's something in the internet. I don't know, from my side, your side, or... Uh... Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, now it's good. I think it's good now. So, yeah, you want to go through the articles now? We can go through those articles. Yeah, uh, mainly I, I uh, everyday practice, like I've, I've been asked by the company, by the patient and their family about how, to, about the use of the supplement. Okay. And is it good for me to use supplement or not? And does it affect my chemotherapy if I use supplement or does not affect my And this is an original article uh, from the uh, American Society of Clinical Oncology, which is the, the, the main society that uh, make the tool. And this is the SWAG, SWAG studies, SWAG S0221. This is Southwest Oncology uh, uh, Group. Uh, which is one of the biggest one that runs there. And they talking about the purpose of the study was to see the, the use of dietary supplement during uh, cancer uh, treatment uh, before and after and see if it's effect on the survival of the patient or on the disease-free progression. And mainly they had the, almost like a, 1134 patient and patient were going for treatment for chemotherapy with cyclophosphamide, adriamycin and uh, taxol for the breast cancer. And they divided the supplement to antioxidant and non-antioxidant and iron supplement. And wow. uh, the, antioxidant, the antioxidant they included was vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, carotenoids, and uh, C, uh, COQ10, coenzyme 10, okay. Q. Uh -huh. And for, yep. uh, for non-antioxidant, they used vitamin B12 as a supplement during the treatment with chemotherapy, and also iron supplement uh, during the chemotherapy uh, usage for the patient who have a breast cancer. And what they found is interestingly that all these three supplements can affect on the affect on the patient uh, survival and disease uh, free progression negatively. What do I mean? I mean that using the supplement uh, before the chemotherapy and during the chemotherapy can affect on the outcome of the treatment for the patient. So the bottom line 
for the patient who's undergoing chemotherapy not use any supplement at all unless they check with their physician because the three wow. the three category of the supplement these are can reduce the life expectancy for the patient that's undergoing and make the cancer come faster wow so that's the important study i've also I was curious in another study um, that we don't have that study today to show but or to talk about, but um, I was under the impression that people who go on a fasting, you know, 72-hour fast or 48-hour fast prior to chemo tend to have less uh, adverse events after the chemo than patients who eat normally. Uh, what do you think about this? Have you researched into this at all? Uh, fasting in general can help the patient, uh, mainly in the breast cancer, because we know fasting can reduce weight loss. Exercise and weight loss is the number one non-therapeutic uh, uh, method that can help reduce the recurrence of disease and improve survival for the patient. And this is well-known study done in uh, uh, multi-centers, big study for the patient. They found these two factors. So directly fasting may not affect, but I think the weight loss that happened with the vaccine, fasting can improve the survival of the patient and reduce their risk of recurrence of disease. Because we, okay, know, there is a big, we know there is a big correlation between body mass index and the recurrence of the breast cancer breast, and colon yeah. cancer, different type of cancer. And the less, the more you get to your ideal body weight, the better prognosis and overall survival can happen to you. And now this other article here, so that's a good one about the supplements. This other article here I see, uh, can breast cancer surgery be eliminated um, uh, from uh, good responders uh, to need Neoadjuvant chemotherapy. Exceptional responders is the study. So what do you think about this? Think, like, what is this? Uh, it is a very interesting study because a lot of uh, direction is now to help minimize the side effects of treatment in general for the patient and improve their quality and they reduce their comorbid condition that can happen to them. And one of the new adjuvant is giving chemotherapy ahead of the treatment, as we have on Dr. Hoffman's study, the Pfizer study for the breast cancer, where yeah. we're giving the chemotherapy before surgery. We're trying to shrink the tumor and see what the effect on uh, the patient. So this is the um, the goal of the new adjuvant chemotherapy is to shrink the disease and minimize the surgery for the patient. These are. The patient that's eligible for this an early stage uh, cancer, stage one or two, without lymph node involvement, where they can uh, do the chemotherapy, shrink the tumor, and then try to aspirate the tumor without doing the surgery and work. And uh, apparently, in this study, they found that there, it is uh, there is almost comparable to the patient who have the same stage, the same uh, disease the outcome and uh, life expectancy for both of them are the same. But this was a small study and they want to take it bigger and do it through the uh, SWAG most probably in the near future. But as 
pilot study, it was very good for these uh, patients and give them more hope about when they have a breast cancer that they don't have to go through taking the breast out or doing mastectomy or having the side effect of that and having the disturption of body image and... Wow. This is important. Yeah, I'm reading here. In 2014, uh, this was in 2014, the colleagues estimated that after neoadjuvant therapy, about half patients with triple negative or HER2 positive tumors may not need surgery based on a 50% pathological complete response rate in those subtypes. Uh, I don't know if the term exceptional responders really applies anymore because this is becoming more and more something that we expect, one of the doctors said. So at the 2020 Miami Breast Cancer Conference, Dr. Whitworth discussed the latest thinking on this topic, standing in for another leader in this field. Uh, so the, yeah, they're thinking that this is uh, becoming the new normal. Is this true? Are you seeing this too? Well, we, uh, we in the community, I don't think we, we adopted this approach, but mainly in the university centers, yes, uh, you see some physician that uh, do it through, uh, through clinical trial wow. mainly because it's not the new standard yet. And it have to have, right. you know, have to have a big studies to apply the standard for the study and have it approved as the standard of care for more population. We have a lot of other options that can be done for the patient also in that regard, like even if they have lumpectomy or tumor tumor resection, that they can have radiation inside the operation room for seven days instead of going six to eight weeks with the radiation treatment for these patients. Yeah, and we should we should actually get Dr. Hoffman on because you mentioned the study that you and I are both working on right now. Is that because that's neoadjuvant and and it's chemotherapy? Does that have is that study anything to do with immunotherapy? No, it doesn't have to do with immunotherapy. No, okay. Immunotherapy is a, it's a completely different field of an oncology. Yes, but yes. I think uh, you know. It is also possible to get Dr. Hoffman on board and try to get his opinion yeah. about the new argument and his study and what the future. But from what I see in the patient that I enrolled so far, it is a very promising study. Yeah, lots of good like stuff in four, the oncology. Yeah, four out of uh, six or seven patients, their, their tumor completely disappeared. But unfortunately, with this time and this era, I have to send them for surgery because this is the standard of care. Yeah. I cannot That's just standard, do for yeah. him. Yeah, I have to follow the standard of care at this point, unless there is an open study to take, to do only suctioning of the remnant tumor from their breast at this time. Right. You want to talk next about uh, the Paola 1 trial? Paola one trial very interesting uh, trial which is in the past for uh, these patients who have uh, ovarian cancer after they have the surgery and have the uh, chemotherapy try to improve their survival we used to give them a whole year of uh, uh, taxol which is another chemotherapy which have a lot of side effects such as neuropathy hair loss and a lot of side effects that can happen for a whole year for the patient and was devastating. So recently they're trying to divert from this and start with giving the olaprilinib, which is one of the PARP inhibitor for ovarian cancer, in addition to 
Avastin or uh, Bevacizumab, which is an anti-neogenesis anti agent that's given. Both of them are very effective in uh, uh, ovarian cancer and it's used in metastatic ovarian cancer. But now this approach is trying to bring it as part of the standard of care as after the as maintenance treatment for the patient who have uh, initially diagnosed with uh, ovarian cancer and went debulking surgery and then followed by chemotherapy and followed by the uh, PARP inhibitor in addition to the pivacizumab uh, treatment to reduce the risk of recurrence. And they found that it is feasible and I think this is going to be one of the practice changing uh, trial that can help and improve and reduce the side effect of the that can happen to the patient in these uh, type of tumors. Wow. Wow. Yep. Yeah, it's I'm reading it here. So in the future, we're going to have uh, infographics popping up. This is our first episode. But for those that are watching live, if you're listening on the podcast, doesn't matter, you'll get the same thing. But if you're watching the recording on YouTube, or uh, you're watching it live, we'll have infographics of the things we're talking about. Um, so yeah, this is an interesting study. Uh, anyone that wants to know more about the data for this, just get a hold of me or Dr. Al, and we can send you some info. We want this to be like a dialogue for uh, educating other people in research and other practitioners out in the community. Uh, there was another article you wanted to talk about too, right? Oh, you asked me uh, for how many flyer. articles there? I think uh, I see another like one a, here, the flyer, flyer there is trial. Two there, is, uh, there is two articles that I want to talk about uh, still. Okay. One is uh, uh, in colon cancer, okay? Patient who have stage three colon cancer and now, uh, in colon cancer, there's four stages. The stage one, it is localized within the colon cancer stage two where it is uh, go through the colon uh, wall of stage three when it get involved in the lymph node, stage four when it metastasize or spread in the body. But now there is a new definition for stage three, which is like having, even without lymph node involvement, having the tumor depo deposit around the uh, colon in the same area, which is before in the old day we used to consider it as a stage four, but now they found out that it, for these patients that they have the tumor deposit in the mesentery, their prognosis is worse than the one does not have it, but their prognosis is better than the one who have metastasic cancer. And the treatment hmm. for them uh, need to be same as a stage three uh, colon cancer, and they have better survival than the metastatic cancer, and there's chance of being cured also. That is very interesting, finally, because I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Why is it? Why is it interesting? Because uh, the tumor deposit was not considering it in the past. We used to classify the cancer as stage three with lymph node involvement without considering the tumor deposit. But now we have a tumor deposit in the mesentery of the abdomen. It is part of the prognostic feature for colon cancer. Do you it know is, where this study was conducted? This is like, I think this is from the, it is from the ASCO, uh, American Society for Clinical oh, okay. Oncology. Okay. Yeah, 
and it is uh, published in uh, abstracts mainly in uh, May 2020, 2020. Okay. And, uh, oh, wow, this is brand, brand new. This is brand new. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this year, it's uh, virtual, right? You did ASCO virtually? Yeah, we, have, or, uh, yeah, we have ASCO virtually, and a lot of abstract, a lot of uh, literature came out in oncology. But also, everything could be an observational or could be something uh, none yet clinical. Scientifically, it did have very good merit, but clinically, not yet there. Right, right, right. Interesting. Okay. It'll be interesting to see over the months, you know, what comes out, what's new, what are your thoughts on it. Maybe we can even get some of these other doctors to come on interview them about their study. Like, for and, example, and, uh, Dr. Hoffman. Yep. Uh, this is the last one is about uh, treating lymphoma. The standard of care okay. for treatment of non-Hopkin lymphoma, uh, aggressive type, is to do the R-CHAP. R stands for rituxan, CHAP, C for uh, cytoxin, uh, H for adiamycin, O for uh, vincristine, and P for prednisone. And this is used. This has been the standard for many years. But now they try. It is very heavy chemotherapy. Can cause a lot of side effect and can cause a lot of uh, uh, morbidity things for the patient. So they're now trying. And usually we give six cycles. Okay, and then we give maintenance. A rituxan after that for two years, once every three months. But now is they're trying to do is trying to reduce the amount of the chemotherapy for this from six to four cycles and see if the for this type the same type of lymphoma and see if the patient can tolerate it and his survival will be as good as doing six cycle or not. And the and this is what they call it the flyer trial F L Y E R. Yeah. Yep. Uh -huh. Flyer trial. And, and they found out in this trial that giving less chemotherapy for these patients uh, with uh, B-cell lymphoma can reduce without compromising outcome of the of these population and can help them and and uh, um, can maintain their survival same as giving more chemotherapy. Give him four versus six. Yeah, chemotherapy, chemotherapy can be reduced without compromising outcomes in this population, which are they're talking about young patients with aggressive B cell non Hodgkin lymphoma and favorable yep. prognosis. Interesting. Yep. So, this so, RCHOP is a, a new RCHOP, basically, no, is the new. treatment of non Hodgkin lymphoma. The standard oh, okay, of care for okay. treatment of non Hodgkin lymphoma. We've been using it for many years. Okay, I got it. But now for yeah, these okay, patients yeah. to try to reduce the side effect because uh, this can have a uh, side effect on the bone marrow, side effect on the heart and the kidney, uh, to see if reducing the comorbid condition can help these patients and maintain their survival same as more chemotherapy. Ah, I got you, okay. Yeah, wow. I'm seeing the safety profile here, progression free. Well, these are interesting uh, articles we got this time. And you know, these are new, these are fresh, fresh, uh, fresh uh, results. Yeah, but, but, but my question for you is like, there is a lot of specific things in the, in the trial that we can make slide for it and go through it and do this. 
but I think this will be a little bit too complicated for the general population because they have to go through that unless they want to see this thing unless they want to know it okay they want to know it, it's it's gonna be mostly clinicians but there are gonna be those patients they call the empowered patients that study this stuff i mean <laughs> you know you know some of these patients they know a lot they know yeah. more than most doctors <laughs> about this stuff so we we're gonna attract those kind of patients too um but yeah i think this is all interesting and the good thing about this is clinicaltrials.gov i mean we're at the busiest stage of research we've ever been you know and that's with in the middle of a pandemic I mean, we can talk about the coronavirus studies in future episodes because there's a lot of those now, a lot. And I know a lot of people are interested in that as well. So let us know in the comments, and you can all, all text me, 949-415-6256 to let me know what you'd like to hear more of and what you thought of this and what you think of the format. And we're going to get other guests on. And if you are a guest that wants to come on, and I know a few people that already want to be interviewed, Dr. Al. So we're good to go on this stuff. You're going to be an excellent host for this show. And I will be your co-host uh, just providing some comedic relief. Great, Dan. I'm glad that we, we launched this podcast and we started doing it. I think it's a very exciting, but it's all sort of like one. experimenting. Yeah, we're experimenting. We need to get it to the best shape that everybody can enjoy it, can learn from it, and will be for the physician, for the general population. And we don't have to stick to oncology. We can study a lot of things. We can bring a lot of uh, subjects into it from internal medicine to cardiology to we can interview a lot of physicians that they can help in this study. If you have any question or anything, just uh, let us know. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Al. Thank you, everybody, for watching live. Uh, message me on Instagram if you want the next uh, uh, live link. It's Dan Sarah, like my name underneath here is my Instagram. And uh, like I said, you can text me as well. And thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time. We'll do many more of these. Take care.